Buffs Nation. What's going on? Welcome back into the Buffs Nation podcast. They may not be playing this year. Well, we don't know yet. But right now, they're not playing. We're back, though. I'm Tyler Walgie, your host. He's Jared All to my right, like always. Jared, what's going on? At least that's the word of the hour right now is that they're not playing. It seems like uh, every day they, they discuss something a little bit different on what's going to happen. It is on a day-by-day basis. No one knows right now. We'll talk about today what it may look like if CU decides to play, what people across the country are saying, uh, including Donald Trump, Dabo Sweeney. Everyone has an opinion right now on what? college football. <laughs> yeah, right? <laughs> yeah, so we'll get into all of that. Also, uh, we're going to hit some CU topics. I know last show was a lot of national stuff, but today... We'll talk about the new coaching staff at Colorado, uh, who Carl Durrell has brought in, who he's retained from last year, and uh, we'll start to touch on the quarterback battle, right? It's one of the most important positions, and CU, for the first time in a long time, not exactly sure who their quarterback's going to be. So we'll get into all that today. Uh, Before we get going, Ryan Smith, the producer as well. Ryan, welcome back to the show. Thanks for having me, guys. Absolutely. It's going to be a good year. You know, like we said last time, hopefully CU eventually plays, but... Uh, even if they don't, we'll be here every other week this season doing a lot of stu- uh, fun stuff for the Buffs. But before we actually get going, I was watching the show from a few weeks ago. And for those who don't know, I've worked in radio now for 10 years and then done you know podcast. Well, radio for uh, 10 years previously. And then there was about a, a year and a half break. Then I got into to podcasting. So really, if you look at it, I've been doing either radio or podcasts on a daily basis, except for that year and a half or so, for pretty much the last 10, 11 years, right? It, well, probably about 10 years. It, our last show recording for the first time was the first time I've ever been recorded doing a show. And I noticed all these weird mannerisms I have. Oh, yeah. (laughs) All these things. I'm like, dude, stop doing this. Stop counting things off on your fingers. But it's fine. I've never noticed I did that in 10 years of doing. And I'm sure I've just built up a lot of bad habits like this, but never on YouTube or camera before. So it's like, all right, I'm starting to. I was like, uh, uh, what is it? Will Ferrell in that movie. uh, Talladega Nights. Yes, I, I don't know what to do with my hands. <laughs> Getting interviewed. I'm not quite sure what to do with my hands here. <laughs> yeah. I, know, I couldn't even pay attention to the show listening back because exactly, I'm just focused in on myself like, what? Why? Why are you doing all that? sporadic, <laughs> exactly. So that's just one thing Bear I noticed, with us, but, folks. Bear with us, yeah, folks. Yeah, for sure. But for those who didn't know, we are on YouTube now. So I know a lot of our audience likes to listen. And uh, you know, we, we've obviously been podcast only for a couple years, but you can find us now on YouTube. So uh, find us on YouTube. Give us a like, subscribe so you can get the notifications every time our new uh, videos come out. But also follow us on whatever podcast player you listen, whether it's Apple Podcasts, Google Play, Spotify, iHeartRadio, TuneIn, whatever you listen on, follow us, stay in, in touch with the show and uh, social media as well. We're on Twitter at Buffs Podcast and on Facebook, just look up Buffs Nation Podcast. So uh, it's doing well and uh, we're trying to grow the show, you know, during this downtime, during the off season. What a better time. So, all right, let's get into it. Talking about CU football. Let's take a look at this new coaching staff. For those who don't know, who those have been living under a rock or you just landed on earth, CU has a new football coach this year. We got rid of Mel Tucker. He's over in Michigan, Michigan State. Who cares really? Ugh, not a big fan of that dude. Yeah, and it just uh, sort of makes you uh, have a, a inclination to not want to root for that program. No, heck for no. Some I'm time, not rooting so. for Michigan State for a while. <laughs> and I think a lot of CU fans look at Mel Tucker and Rick Neuheisel kind of on a parallel plane. They both sort of abandoned CU, but I don't look at it like that. I, you know, when I was growing up, and it was more my 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 mom and my family getting really upset at Rick Neuheisel. 
looking back on that, I don't have a big issue with Rick Neuheisel leaving. You know, he was here for a while. He left for what some consider to be a better job in Washington. It's like in life, I never condemn people for going in and trying to find something new, working on a new challenge, you know, taking a new job offer. I, know, I, I hate to just criticize people for that. Now, I know how CU fans may have felt back then. You feel betrayed. You feel abandoned. That, to me, was completely different than what Mel Tucker did. The timing, he compl- he left CU. At least uh, Rick Neuheisel gave the buffs a long, healthy opportunity to make a, a good coaching search, interview the right people. Mel Tucker quit on the buffs at the end of the coaching carousel when there was nobody else available, no other coaches to talk to, and CU was left high and dry. And he did it in the middle of the night after committing and promising to his players and to this team that he was going to stick around, that he was not going anywhere. So for him to then flip and, and you know, it was like, I remember it was like a 3 a.m. you know, tweet that you see like, oh my gosh, this really just happened, that you wake up in the morning to see it. So for him to just kind of go away in the night, that was just such a shady thing. It was. And again, it's not what you do. It's how you do it. Not If Mel Tucker would have gone about it a different way, I would probably have the same sentiment, even though it may not echo or reflect what all of the actual Buffs Nation is thinking. But me personally, you know, I, I know I could be a little easier on people. Well, that actually depends because I can be pretty hard on people too, depending what, on what we're talking about. <laughs> I know, right? <laughs> I know. But again, with, with that, when you're just looking for a different job, w- when you've put in your time, you know, it is one thing. But Mel Tucker came out. It, it came out, as you just said, like hours before he left and pretty much guaranteed everyone he's a buff for life. It's just like, dude. Uh, so anyway, the CU hires Carl Durrell. And it was a, a polarizing hire. I mean, you know, there were people who loved it, some people who didn't love it. I don't think there's many people who were ecstatic about the hire. And I really don't. I didn't hear too many people who absolutely hated it. It was just sort of right there in the middle, you know. It lacked not, some flash. Yeah, it kind of did. But then you hear Carl Durrell talk. You hear what he's all about. You hear how he's dealt with his team so far. And I like his approach. I mean, I don't think he's necessarily going to win the South his first year or anything like that. But I like his approach, and the players really seem to be buying in. So to start today's show, we'll look at the coaches who he kept from the old coaching staff and a, c- a couple new guys who he's bringing in. Uh, so coaches who will remain, he's, uh, well... Carl Durrell's brought in three new coaches on each side of the ball, three offense, three defense, but he is retaining four full-time coaches from Mel Tucker's staff. Darren Shiverini, Darian Hagan, uh, Brian Michalowski, and Tyson Summers. So uh, Shiverini, who I think he's the one who we were talking about the most on the last show, he's going to serve as the offensive coordinator and coach the receivers. Uh, he's coached receivers now for five years, so he knows these guys well. And he obviously a receiver himself. So I think coach calling the offense – knowing the team, having played receiver, having coached these receivers, he's in a great spot. He's got to feel comfortable. He's also going to retain his role, and I don't know the exact title, but he's basically the head of their recruiting. He, right. he, he runs all their recruiting stuff, and he's it's been a huge, huge move for for, for the boss once they brought him in. He was he was uh, credited for guys like LaVisca, Chenault, Katie Nix, and some of those guys were, were his recruits that he brought in. So that's a big part of what Darren Cheverini does as well. Uh, Brian Michalowski, uh, he will uh, keep coaching the outside linebackers for a second straight year. Darian Hagan will uh, continue to coach the running backs for his 10th year on staff. I was staff. just going to ask. I love it. He's been around as long as I can remember, and it's just it's, it's fantastic. I love to see Hagan kept around. He's another guy that he, I think, really helps instill the traditions that are CU. Well, here's the thing. When you know the program like the program, it, it just means something different. You think of Mel Tucker – 
had more ties to see you, he would have done what he did? Absolutely not. So being a part of the program, I've always been a big believer in this. You don't just want to get CU guys in there. You want to get good coaches who are also CU guys. I think that, that it's it's very important. So uh, Darian Hagan, uh, Mikulowski, uh, Shiverini, who do we miss? Tyson Summers, he's going to be back for his second year. I honestly think the book is still out on Tyson Summers, you know? I mean, I'm not ready to say he's going to be here for the long run, but... And he's one of really... I mean, I know there's quite a few guys that Mel Tucker brought into this staff that are still here, but I look at Tyson Summers as really the only Mel Tucker guy. Right, I do too. still left. He, he was at Georgia for several years with Mel Tucker prior to coming over, so... But, to your point, the, the jury's still out a little bit be, because... Mel Tucker was so involved with that defense. You may see some different things. You may see some different philosophies coming out of Tyson Summers. So I, I'm intrigued. I'm in, I'm actually really excited about some of the staff they've put together on the defense and some of the new guys that they have brought in. Obviously, Mel Tucker took quite a few guys from the defensive staff with him when he went to Michigan State. So I'm really excited about the staff they put together and what we're going to see out of this defense. I think you could really see improvement out of this defense, even from what we saw in this past season. I mean, that would be great. We didn't see great things. We didn't see tremendous but, things but on defense But you saw a lot year. of progress. <laughs> as it went on in the year, and I yeah. think you see that trend continue moving forward. I don't think you see it, it take a step back at all. I think so as well, and I think you're right. Mel Tucker was really invested and involved with that defense, so the fact that he's gone, giving him a little bit more of an opportunity to work, I think will be good. Now, let's talk about some of those defensive coaches. We'll start on the defense for the new coaches coming in and then get to offense. I think the one who I'm most excited about is Demetrius Martin. I was going to say the same thing. Yeah. Just He brings so much, not only as a coach with the experience, but again, as a recruiter. He is well-known across the country as a great recruiter. That's that's kind of what I wanted to, to get to because you just mentioned Darren Chivarini getting ahead up the recruiting, but Demetrius Martin has a lot of experience recruiting, not just recruiting in general because it's one thing to be able to recruit, right? Uh, Demetrius Martin's 47 years old. To be able to connect with uh, a 17, 18, 19-year-old kid and persuade them to come play at your school, let them know all the good things going on, that's one thing, right? To do it in the same region for so long is another. And he's uh, been a coach at UCLA, Washington, USC. I mean, he knows Pac-12 country very well. That's not to say he's only going to be limited to recruiting in California, uh, the, the Oregon, uh, the, the, the West Coast there, Utah, Colorado, even Texas, right? The, the normal pipeline states he can go anywhere he wants to and he's proven that by recruiting great players to both washington and usc i mean some of his recruiting classes that he was responsible for he's picking players from all over the country that's what i'm looking for someone who can recruit a different style of players because that's what the buffs need if you're going to be better if you're going to improve year after year you can't just keep getting the same you know pipeline guys from texas and, and look what they did in terms of the recruiting uh staff Shiverini was one of them going down to El Paso, Texas. That's what I'm talking about, right? We all think about Texas when players go, well, how many players are in Texas? They go to big 12 pack 12. My point is El Paso is like a, a barren land down there. There's not a lot of talent coming from El Paso. What did CU do back then? Right? Shiverini, uh, a couple other of the coaches, they went down, focused their efforts on El Paso, a place that was untouched and found uh, Steven Montez, right? So, now, I think that bringing in Demetrius Martin, combining that with what Dar Darren Chivarini is able to do, the Buffs recruiting is looking good in the, f in the future. Now, they're going to have to get out there and do something, but on paper, I'm very excited for what Demetrius Martin's going to do in terms of recruiting. You're exactly right, Jared. But it's not just recruiting. It's on the field as well, and he's, he has a lot of head coaching experience. As we just said, I mean, he's been coaching in this area, this neck of the woods, since it was the Pac-10, UCLA, Washington, Southern Cal. He's got a lot of experience, so... Um, 
quote here on uh, Martin from Coach Durrell. Demetrius is a high-energy, passionate coach who gets the most out of his players, both on and off the field. He has a reputation for being a great recruiter and has ex- outstanding experience doing so. So, look, the coaching staff's excited about it. I-, I can tell you are. I am as well. So that that's probably one of the main hires I'm, I'm really, really excited about. One thing I think is interesting in how they're approaching the, the uh, staff, the position group coaches uh, with the defense is that you see a breakout. You have Demetrius Martin is going to be focused on coaching the cornerbacks and then you have Brett Maxey is going to be coaching the safety so they're actually splitting up the defensive backfield they do the same thing with the linebackers as well I think that's very smart I think in today's uh, college football and, and really in football in general it is is, is very kind of unique in what you're doing it's uh, from a cornerback to a safety you're doing a, a really completely different things and so to lump them all in a group together and say you're all going to do these same drills it just doesn't do a whole lot so I, I, I like that approach and I think it's interesting to be very focused in that you want to be having him watching the cornerbacks, coaching the cornerbacks up. That's a great point. Now let's get to Brett Maxey, who you mentioned, coaching the safeties. Brett Maxey, this guy's interesting. Now, Ryan, if we can maybe pull up IMG Academy, because I don't know where IMG Academy is. That's where he came from last. But Brett Maxey has some good experience. He's coached in the NFL for a long time. As a matter of fact, of all the coaches coming in, I believe he has the most coaching experience in general. Uh, he's, he's coached for, let's see here, uh, the Carolina Panthers, the uh, Miami Dolphins, the Dallas... Uh, uh, what's the coach or what's the team down there in Dallas? Dallas the Cowboys. <laughs> Good God. Uh, <laughs> Only America's team, <laughs> <Right>? Tyler. <laughs> but he has a lot of experience. It's just what he's done recently. That It's like, uh, what's going on here? So maybe we can get some defensive stats for how they did last year because he was their defensive coordinator in 2019. So Brett Maxey, 58 years old. As I said, veteran coach. He's been coaching for 21 years. Uh, 13 years as a defensive back coach in the NFL. But his last stop, as I said, he was a D coordinator at IMG Academy. So, look, I'm not trying... I'm excited about this, actually, because of all this experience, and I think experience means something. But I can't help but notice (laughs) that he was the D coordinator at IMG Academy last year. So either his jobs keep getting, you know, worse and worse, or he loves IMG... I don't even know. How Maybe he's for. got some ties back there. Exactly. So it's a high school. Is IMG IMG Academy? It's a yeah. It's a, it's a high school in Bradenton, Florida, and um, a lot of it. It's it's known mostly for football and basketball. Um, but that's where a lot of these high high profile. I mean, it's an academy. So rather than staying in their own hometowns, they go to IMG. So this is actually a good thing. Yeah, I, I didn't know. See, when you see IMG Academy. You don't know what the heck that means. I'm like, wait, is this like a, you know, is this where like ex-convicts go to play? Is this where? No, that's Florida Atlantic. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, I thought it was like, uh, like, uh, what's the movie with? uh, They've redone it now once with Adam Sandler. Oh, uh, the longest yard. Longest yard. Yeah, I thought it may have been something like that. You know? No, but okay. Let's let's they take have, that. I don't think they have stats on there actually. Let's dive into that. Hey, hey, look look at some of these scores though. Forty nine thirteen. That's a good defense, if you're, if you're asking me. There we go. Uh, Tyler, I look at that, and actually I see a very positive aspect to that of coming in, working with high school kids most recently, where you've maybe built and made some connections with some of those kids yeah, down yeah. there that will be coming out, but also Florida. You want to talk about recruiting and tapping into other areas outside of Colorado's typical pipelines? When was the last time you can remember a kid coming out of Florida? Big-time kid coming out of Florida. So that could be an angle you see them approach in recruiting as they move forward, maybe trying to target some of those guys that he's familiar with down there. That's uh, – that's see, look, 
there's there's two different ways to take that. I would love for that to be the case. Do you think that we're going to get into Florida because he's there? I mean, look, he would have to be going back to his roots, people who he knows, people who he's made connections with. I think that he clearly has made connections down there. The question is, does that translate into see you getting a couple guys? And I don't think the answer has to automatically be no. Remember when Mel Tucker came in here and we're automatically getting guys from Georgia and it, and it's like that was because of his connections. So that sounds good, but do you think it's actually doable? Florida's tough. Florida is a very tough place to create. I mean, there's what like eight big time programs in Florida alone, yeah. let, let alone the SEC and the ACC that pull a lot of their talent from Florida anyway. So Even the Big Ten now, it's like once uh, once uh, Jim Harbaugh and uh, uh, Jim Trestle, remember, it's like they're pulling people from yeah. Florida all the time. Or Jim Urban Trestle. Meyer. I, that's what I meant. Yeah, Urban, Urban Meyer, Meyer not going yeah. all the way back to Trestle, but. Yeah, but so either way, I, a lot of a lot of people in Florida hey, go everywhere. Just just to be able to get out there and get in front of some kids, I think will be good. Hey, you may not see a ton of immediate success from that, but you continue to expand out that area, and you might see more and more kids interested in it. Thirty-four sacks during the season, nineteen interceptions, which is one point nine interceptions a game. These are some good stats I'm seeing. One cause fumble. You know what I like about the fumbles is they got a lot of turnovers that were forced. One thing about doing uh, data and doing sports is uh, you notice how often fumbles are actually kind of fluky. When you look at a team who gets a lot of fumbles, it, it usually doesn't translate from one year to the next. A team that gets a lot of interceptions, that's usually not too fluky. So a lot of picks, not a lot of yards uh, or, or points given up, 34 sacks in 10 games. If I'm, uh, if I'm doing my math correctly, that's 3.4 sacks a game. You're a lot better. Look at that. that. I'm I'm on, folks. <laughs> so that, that that's good stats. Overall, I think things to be impressed about. The fact that he comes from IMG, that's a good thing. We're excited yeah, about it. He's just gonna <laughs> exactly and he's gonna bring that to Boulder, Colorado. All right, let's get on to the defensive line. This is a really interesting hire because this goes back to the probably the most recent glory days the CU has, which is the early two thousands, uh, with Gary Barnett. A lot of people uh don't love Gary Barnett. They look back at the Gary Barnett days. I honestly look back. I'm like, why? Why? How could you have anything negative to say about Gary Barnett and the way that he coached CU? I would think it has a lot more to do with the way, not necessarily that he left the program, but that the program was left when he was sort of ousted. Um, all the allegations, all the recruiting violations, and those sorts of things. <sighs> and so I think there's just that sour taste people have in their mouth. But you're absolutely right. You look back at the su success we had with Gary Barnett, and aside from the McCartney days, it's as good as anyone. It's good. It's as good as it's ever been for CU. But the thing is, if I remember correctly, the issue with him leaving was, you know, he was recruiting maybe not the best players or, you know, like in terms of like character or whatever. And, and it was, it wasn't that yeah, a lot of had, it? it was a lot of, it was parties and things like that. Dude, and like it had nothing to cares? do with the actual recruiting. You're dealing with what's going on. Uh, well, a, a lot of it had to do with Katie Nida. Yeah. <laughs> I shouldn't laugh at that. That was actually uh, kind of serious. Katie the, com the comments that he made about Katie Nida, the kicker, about how she's just not any good. <laughs> it was bad. It was oh really, God. really poorly timed it was uh you know kind of like what we see a lot in the national media these days where it's just like you just can't stay out of your own way and not make some of these comments here so i actually think you're absolutely right ryan that a lot of people that really rubbed them the wrong way the way he handled her the way he handled it in the media and regardless of whether or not she was qualified to play and be on that team and and, and be in the game you got to be a bit smarter than that than to, to make comments like that. 
Yeah, I see right here. Uh, New Heisel left Colorado in 98, as we just mentioned. But his replacement, Gary Barnett, kept the walk-on offer open. Uh, talking about to, uh, what's her name, Ryan? Katie Nida. Katie Nida. Katie Nida. Nida never saw playing time at Colorado, though. She did suit up for games, becoming the second woman to do so in, in uh, D1 football. Look, this is not going to be popular because it's 2020, and this is the era of being woke and not ever saying anything that may be construed in a wrong way, but I'm going to go ahead and do it. If she wasn't as good as the other kicker, what did he say? Because I don't want to make it seem like what he said was okay. Do we know exactly what he said about her? Oh, and, and Ryan's got a nice little... Because my, my main thing is if she's not as good as the other players, you know, let's maybe not criticize her for it, but then, it, you know, her not getting playing time I think is okay. And there, there, there's some other stuff as well. Colorado we're coach uh, yeah. Gary Barnett denied uh, her allegations. Oh, so she had allegations of sexual, yeah, harassment, sexual harassment, and he denied it. Yeah, well, that's actually completely different than not the no playing yeah, time yeah, or anything like that. Absolutely, so, look, and that that brings a whole nother level. It does, it does. And should he have handled it different? The answer is probably absolutely he should have. You know, he and and by the way, just to finish my my thought from before when I was going to go all you know from from what everyone was saying. All, my, my whole point was, if it did have something to do with playing time or anything like that, we shouldn't be giving her playing time just because she's a woman. I think it's great that she's one of the few women to ever do this and that she suited up, all that stuff. But if it had to do with playing time or, or him talking about her abilities, things like that, that's different than sexual harassment allegations that, that he denied. And, and I'm going to have to get, you know, let, let, maybe we can dive a little deeper on this on a different show. But my point is, in terms of success and what we saw on the field, the field yeah. Gary Barnett was really, really a successful head coach. And I would love for him to maybe get back involved. Do you ever listen to the radio podcast? I love the, it. The radio I love with him, him on the radio. You I just, think he, he has a, a total different level of knowledge that you just don't get from, from the regular color analyst on, on a yeah. on broadcast. He knows the game so well. He knows this organization or this, this program so well. And I always, uh, I like to sync up the game to the radio and see who has road games. And so I listen to him all the time, but anyway, aside from all that stuff with Gary Barnett, what happened back then, Chris Wilson, was a coach on the defensive line back in the Gary Barnett days. He coached uh, at CU from 2000 to 2004, kind of those heydays we were just talking about. And uh, he spent the last year, 2009, with the Arizona Cardinals. So Wilson, who's 51, coached all Big 12 performance, performers, uh, Justin Bannon and Tyler Brayton in Colorado. We obviously remember those guys. Uh, Tyler Brayton earned uh, third-team All-America honors. Uh, along with uh, other familiar names, Ma Marcus Harris, Matt, Mc Matt uh, McChesney, Brandon, uh, Debut, uh, God, all the old the old school fans are gonna Ryan. Ryan, we're looking at you yeah, here. Ryan, you gotta the, help the us. The old school fans are gonna kill me for this one. <laughs> yeah, I, 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 that's that's a tough one right there, dude. I'm gonna dab go with dab dub. That's what dab I'm going dab dub. Uh, we'll, we'll go dab dub. Dab dub. <laughs> Sounds like some of my friends these days. They're you should have just skipped that one, Tyler. <laughs> right? <laughs> and James Jury. Uh, he joined uh, Barnett's Colorado staff from Illinois State, where he's a D-line coach. So he's been to Colorado. He's been here during the glory days. This is what we're looking for, man. Th this, is, this is my point. You don't have to be a born and raised in Colorado. You go here for four years to understand the program, know the program, have success, see what success looks like in Colorado. So I think Chris Wilson, for all of his experience, a lot of coaching experience, he started coaching, I believe, in 1993. 
so I'm excited to have him on the staff. He also spent quite a few years working under Bob Stoops at Oklahoma, and I think that's a, a, a big uh, name as well to have worked with. And that was, again, sort of during Oklahoma, before Oklahoma became this like all-offense, no-defense type of thing when they actually played some old-school Big 12 football. So uh, that was a, a, a big stop for him as well. All right, let's get to some of these other coaches here. Am I missing anything on the defensive side? I think defensively, you pretty well hit everything. Um, you know, th- like I said, I mean, you see there, uh, that's a majority of the coaches right there. Well, well we, all new guys. And we just had three offense, three defense. So yeah. I think those three are the uh, are the defensive ones we wanted to hit. Uh, let's get over to the offensive side of the ball. Taylor Embry. What do you think first when you hear Embry? Uh, you know, honestly, I, I do cringe a little bit because there was a very, very bad experience that we can all remember and maybe we've all forgotten about. It's uh, got his phone number on there? Oh, oh, should we give boy, him a call? <laughs> should we give him a call? Can we get him on the pod, man? <laughs> I, I, I'm sure that's his office. <laughs> you don't we'll suppose they're open him. on Sundays? <laughs> Uh, but obviously we all remember John Embry. John Embry was a great player at, at CU, but had a very, very poor stint as a CU bus yeah. head coach. Was it one year, maybe I two years? I think John Embry was here for one year. I think he went, I think he had three wins and was out. And, and it was bad, and, and the players turned on him. And so now, that being said, I absolutely love, this is one of the few buffs guys. In fact, maybe the only, okay, so, so you had Chris Wilson has some buffs, coaching experience but Embry's the only true Buffs guy you know he, he grew up as a Buffs fan his, his dad was around the program so it, it, I think it's a great hire to bring him in now he doesn't bring a ton of experience he's a younger guy but I think that ability to connect with the players and 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 the last couple of years he's been coaching for some pretty good ball clubs yeah he's been a tight ends coach for Kansas City Chiefs in the NFL as well as the uh, San Francisco 49ers and I forget Tyler but who, who was the two teams in the Super Bowl this last year hey 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 not Kansas too bad City, not too bad hey 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 um little fat Albert there in case you didn't know <laughs> hey 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 all right, uh, no, the, I, I I'm really excited about him. You're right, he's young, but I think that's good. You don't just want to bring in all these old school veterans who've been around it and you know have this rugged background. You want some guys who are a little bit younger, who who the players feel like they can connect to. Honestly, one of Darren Shiverini's best qualities is that he can connect, he can connect with these guys, right? I mean, they they have something in common. When you're that young, I think it's so much easier. So John em- or uh, Taylor Embry, I'm gonna I do got that you a lot ruined this now, year, man. <laughs> I'm gonna do that a lot this year. Uh, Carl Durrell on Embry. Quote, Taylor is a promising young coach, a player I recruited to UCLA and had a productive career. He was always interested in coaching like his father, John, and he learned the trade via the NFL with the Kansas City Chiefs and with the San Francisco 49ers. I think that's great, like you mentioned. To be around success, it doesn't always mean you're going to be successful, but it doesn't hurt, that's for sure. So Taylor Embry, the tight ends coach now for CU. All right, uh, quarterbacks and passing game coordinator Danny Langsdorf. Uh, Langsdorf, excuse me. Uh, Langsdorf, twenty-seven joins. That's a lot easier than than uh, what was it? Dabdub. Dabdub. Dab <laughs> <laughs> a lot easier than Dabdub. All right, uh, uh, Danny Langsdorf, forty-seven joins CU from his brief stop at uh, the powerhouse UNLV, where he was named quarterbacks coach and passing game coordinator on January eighth. Uh, he spent 2019 in both roles for Fresno State uh, after serving offensive analyst for the University of Oregon. So he's been kind of in the area, Oregon, uh, UNLV, Fresno. You know, So again, to, to be familiar with the area, I think it's really powerful and really uh, uh, 
it can be something that, that's really beneficial if you know how to use it, right? If you know how to recruit in the right ways, who knows if his time in uh, at UNLV and in Nevada, you know, maybe he's got connections with, uh, what is it, John uh, Bosco or something like that? Uh, oh, oh. Uh, when we look up the best high school football, Saint, high school. St. John Bosco. I yeah, think yeah, right. I think that is too in, in Nevada. Yeah. Um, I mean, this is like one of the best programs in the country, right? Yeah, they're year after year spitting yeah. out top 20 guys. So look, it's not just California and Florida that you can recruit from. There's a lot of places, and I think his connection to Nevada will do nothing but help, and especially if you've got uh, you know connections over there. So uh, yeah, St. Uh, John Bosco football. Um, all right, uh, prior to his time at Oregon, where we just said you know he spent a little bit of time, uh, he was with Mike Riley, um, at Oregon State, offense coordinator. That was from 2005 to 2013. So. And, and everyone kind of cringes when you say Oregon State now, but that was their heyday. That was as good as Oregon State ever was during right. that stretch. They, they had some of their best offensive seasons, particularly, that they ever had. What do you think about this? What do you think about Langsdorf? Passing game coordinator, uh, uh, quarterbacks coach, you know, I think is he going to step on toes at all with, with Shiverini? I don't think so. You know, I think he's going to fit in really well, and I, I think he's got a diverse – uh, background to him you know he coached at Nebraska which is a program as you know that doesn't do a whole lot of passing you know he's he's coached at some pass heavy teams as well so I think he brings a lot of experience but I, I don't think there's any questioning on whose role is where I think Darren Cheverini I mean you got to remember back to this this past winter when Darren Cheverini was actually in the running for this head coaching job so I don't think there's any questioning on what his role is and his uh, where his level of authority is within this offense so I, I think this is a, a, a good experience experienced coach that brings a different background that I think will help to kind of mesh with what you see from Cheverini. The last coach we'll talk about, Mitch Rodriguez. Rodriguez, I'm not sure. R-O-D-R-I-G-U-E. It's like Rodriguez without the Z. Uh, he's 55, comes to Colorado after two years coaching high school in Alabama, but he brings 27 years of full-time coaching experience to CU. He coached two years at Spanish Fork High School. What's a Spanish Fork? You know, is that different than a an American fork? I'm just going to say The Chinese that, uh, fork is just chopsticks. I, I think Americans probably made the fork too difficult. I don't know. I, I, it seems like an easy th- thing to use, but I don't know. Maybe there's something better that we have no idea. Maybe there's a Spanish there. I fork. I think we might need to look into this. Maybe it's like a spork type of thing. It's going all right. It's Spanish fort. <laughs> <laughs> what does that say? What does that say? I don't know. Where am I reading here? Here, let me show you. Look at the screen. Where I've circled. Oh, yeah. Yeah, here. What does that say? Oh, yeah. Wait, I think we're reading from the same thing. That's what I too. thought, too. Somebody went back and corrected I this. think they may have. I printed this off like this morning. Wow. Yeah, here. Hey, here. good for you, C Buffs. Getting on your stuff. You realize you got an error, man. I mean, this is quick. We don't mess around. <laughs> around here. What does that say? That says Spanish Fork. I like Spanish Fork better. Because Spanish Fort just doesn't sound that great. I'm picturing the Alamo here in Spanish Fort. So, you know, give me that Spanish Fork and some unique new utensil that we're... You know what, guys? Boss Nation Podcast needs to come up with a Spanish Fork. They they seriously must have printed this off last night. I mean, (laughs) this is hysterical. So, he spent the last few years at Spanish Fort High School. (laughs) Um... After a seven-year stint at the University of Louisiana, the Lafayette, the Raging Cajuns. Uh, in his tenure at Lafayette, he was credited with developing an offensive line that ranked among, among the most efficient groups in the country. And in 2014, he had 
Oh, okay. He had his brothers Daniel and Mikhail named to preseason watch list for the Lombardi Award. That's not the most relevant thing in the world. Uh, prior to his seven-year run at ULL, he was on South Alabama staff. So he has a lot of experience in like that region, not a ton in the Pac-12, but his uh, overall knowledge of offensive line, he's been around the game for a very long time. This makes me wonder, though. This is the one hire where I start to wonder what product we're going to see on the field, not in terms of good or bad, but what this offense is going to look like because Carl Durrell has run a pro-style offense for a lot of his career, uh, Tyler Lytle, who we're going to talk about here in a little bit, quarterback for the Buffs, is a pro-style quarterback, and Mitch Rodriguez, or Rodriguez, I'm not sure. I think it's Rodriguez. Rodriguez. He has experience with more pro-style offensive lines, right? So this is the one hire where it's like, how is he going to mesh with Shiverini in this offense if they want to keep things at a high tempo, at a high pace? Because now, look, offensive line coaches have changed over the last 10 years, right? I mean, look, unless you, unless you still run a run-heavy offense or a pro style or, or you know things like that, then maybe it's not so shifted. But nowadays, especially in the Pac-12, it's more about being agile on the offensive line, getting your linemen to move, creating space. I mean, correct me if I'm wrong, but nowadays in the Pac-12, you want you don't want to be the one line who's stuck doing things the old way. And I think that if you're going to look at maybe something to wonder about this and how it's going to translate to CU, does it affect them negatively in any way? Or is he able to adapt and sort of you know get his off- offensive line to perform how we need them to? I think the question that I keep asking myself is how does Darren Cheverini fit with the rest of these guys? Because it seems like all the other guys are kind of aligned in a philosophical approach of the pro style, a little bit maybe more old school. And Cheverini, we can remember back over, over the course of the last few years when he's been a play caller. And he is not. He has been a very much a you know spread the, the the quick outs you know the quick. Maybe though he's understanding that that's not successful. I mean, look at what CU's done the last couple of years. We how many bowl games have we gone to? One. Yeah, and that was an embarrassment. Let's exactly. Be so may, hopefully, maybe things are starting to change. And also, let's be real here. Coaches in the NFL, as much as everyone wants to say the NFL is adopting these college systems, these college stuff. It is done so somewhat, you know, they are tiptoeing into the college system. So to think to bring all this NFL talent on the team and it's just going to automatically be another air raid offense, I don't think that's necessarily going to be the case. But honestly, Jared, I don't think that's necessarily a bad thing either. No, and I think especially in a team that I I do think, even though Carl Durrell is an offensive-minded coach, I do still think you're going to see a team that they're going to try to build around their defense. And I think that is going to be an important factor for these boss. That's the the direction they were moving under Mel Tucker, and I think he continues to push that this year because I think that's a a more of a sustainable way to be successful year in and year out. You're going to get talent. You're going to have those flashy guys come in. You're going to have that LaVisca Chenault that you find ways to make him a superstar, but you constantly need to have that defense to be able to hold up because I think that's how you can be more consistent, which is something, uh, aside from consistently bad, you can't really say the Buffs have been consistently good at anything over the last few years. Yeah, I mean, I think that if anyone out there is so set on seeing one thing or so married to one thing, it's like, you got to be adaptable, but also... It's not like we've seen the product there lately either. So you want to uh, look. All I want is for the buffs to come out, and just string some wins together. Whenever this is, whether it's this year, next year, ten years from now, 
All I want is to see a, a good football team out there, man. That's all that matters to me. I don't care how the heck they do it. And I think this is one of those things that I'm just, it, it hurts me the most not to see them on the field this fall because it, it was so much intrigue into that. What is this offense going to look like? What is this new team going to look like? Are we going to see a very similar team to what we saw from Mel Tucker? I actually think you're going to see a, a, a bit of a different kind of mental mind frame from this team. Carl Durrell is a very different coach. So it, this is what kills you, not having them out on the field where yeah. each week you're just you're really itching to just see what this would have looked like and what this is going to be in the future. All right, well, that does it for the coaching staff. But in terms of what this team is going to look like, a big part of that factor is the quarterback position. And for the first time in a very long time. I mean, I, I don't remember the last time there was this much of a quarterback battle for the buffs. Maybe you guys can remember off the top of your mind. Cody, but. Cody Hawkins? <laughs> well, yeah. I mean, we've had... Yeah, it, it was It was Cepho and Steven Montez for how, what? Se- how long? Seven, eight years, right? Yeah. yeah. Yeah, and I mean, there was no battle then. It was Cepho Lufau's team, and then once he left, it was pretty obvious that it was going to be uh, Steven Montez. And we don't have to go back and... and, and, and and say where we thought the team would be after that or anything like that. But the point is, those quarterbacks were clearly CU's quarterbacks, and now for the first time in a while, it's a question mark at the quarterback position. So what we'll do right now is dive in and look at the two main candidates and let everyone know what we think right now. Because obviously right now is much different than... Well, and we... There's so many question marks. As you just mentioned, we don't know what we're going to see out there. So this is an overview of both quarterbacks, and if we hear one of these guys named Starter... That'll give us a good indication of what this offense will look like. Let's start off with Tyler Lytle because he's been at CU for the longest. Tyler Lytle is your classic pro-style quarterback. Now, can the guy move? Absolutely. We've seen it in his minimal time on the field, but he's an athlete. Well, he's athletic. Let's say that. 6'5", 220. He's a junior this year. He's out of California. And I believe his career stats with the buffs off the top of my mind, I think he's 4 for 5 with one interception. I think he is, but... Um, the whole thing with, with with Tyler Lytle, the key is he. Am I correct there? Uh, ru- well, that's rushing stats. You go down a little bit. Let's see passing stats. Yeah, four of five of one pick. So the ball's never hit the ground when he's been on there. <laughs> hey, I, I think we could live with that. <laughs> the whole thing about Lytle is I've been saying this name for years. You know, I actually used to when I worked in radio. Uh, this is when he got recruited, and there was a Tyler Lytle who worked for the. Uh, the Fort Collins newspaper, whatever it was called. And yeah, so I was like, hey, Tyler Lytle, Tyler Lytle. So I've always kind of known about him for that reason. But it seems like he's kind of always been talked about, always waited to see the key, always waited to get the keys to the program. But this concerns me. I, 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 I never love when a quarterback who's a junior, senior finally gets his opportunity. Because to me, that doesn't mean that other players have had the keys and you're just waiting on this guy to hit his prime. That, to me, says everyone else has gotten the keys until you don't have anyone left, right? And then you're going to the senior. We see, we, I've seen this happen a couple times this year, and the results have not been great in college football, the few games we've had. So I just wonder, you know, obviously Steven Montez was a very good talent, and, and, and that's not taking anything away from Tyler Lytle, but but you wonder, I mean, would he have found more time? Because honestly, last year, wasn't it between Lytle and then there was one more quarterback, right? It was... Sam uh, Neuer. Sam Neuer. Neuer the Destroyer. And Neuer's still in the mix, but it, it does sound like... Uh, but it's like, pretty much yeah, down to these two. It sounds two. like he's, he's but a my, backup. But again, my point there was that it wasn't clear. It's not like, you know, Tyler Lytle's our backup. It was always, who is the backup? And I know he has the intangibles, but I just wonder, 
especially with this extra time off. I mean, if the season started on time and you didn't have a whole lot of time with Brendan Lewis, fine. Then you start Tyler Lytle. But with the extra time, I think that things may be tilting more into the freshman's favor, who we're going to talk about in a minute. Yeah, I got to think that this extra time off does not help Tyler Lytle. I absolutely believe that had this season happened, you know, had we been playing next week or whenever that first game would be, I, I absolutely believe Tyler Lider would be the eye under center. Now, you may have still seen Brendan Lewis in, in some sub packages, different things, but the longer you get for this team to work together, the less you worry about Brendan Lewis's ability to pick up the offense, to have that chemistry with the team. Well, that's a that's the tough thing with a freshman. That's a lot to take on as a freshman and start. And when you do pick up the offense, I mean this is a new offense. You know, if you're going to start from the ground up, why not start with the freshman? Now, we're going to get to Brendan Lewis in just a minute. We, we will read a lot of his high school stats. So it's only fair to go back and read some of these stats from high school that uh, Tyler Lytle put up. Uh, let's see here. He set the single season passing record for uh, Servite High School uh, with 2,800 yards and 19 touchdowns. Okay, that was his senior season where he was named the player of the year. Um, in 11 games in 2016, he completed 60% of his passes for 250 yards a game, okay? So he knows what he's doing back there. The dude's got an arm. It's just about what this offense is going to look like and who this coaching staff feels comfortable putting back there. Now, I want to make this clear. If the coaching staff wants to put out the quarterback who does have college experience, who will feel comfortable, then I think they may go with Tyler Lytle, even if this is somewhat of a spread offense. I mean, as we already said, he's athletic enough to run a spread, and he's clearly got the the mechanics to, to, to get rid of the football as well. So I think he can throw it, he can run. He's not a terrible option by any means if we end up seeing him under center for the season. Yeah, I think he brings a lot of positive things to the table. He has the, yes, doesn't have the on-field experience, but he's been around this program for several years. He's been around college football he understands what that's about you know he has the leadership aspect where I think he brings in and that's one of the things that I really took and some of the reading I did up on him is he's really stepped up as a leader this last past offseason as obviously the, the the main driving force for this offense because you don't have a Steven Montez anymore pretty much all offseason these guys have not been able to spend time around their coaches I mean yes you can do the zoom meetings you can do some of those things but a lot of the on-field practices are only player-led practices that's the only way you were allowed to in this offseason do any sort of practices so he's been a guy that has stepped up taken a leadership role so there is certainly a lot to that and guys more confident in you guys believe in you you know what? He may not have all the uh, athletic intangibles that you see from a Brendan Lewis. And maybe Brendan Lewis is the future, but there's nothing wrong in my mind with going with a guy that I think, especially given the situation, if you're playing in the spring, a funky season, give me a veteran leader that can lead your team in the right direction. And if anything, he's got experience thrown to these receivers. I know he hasn't played a whole lot of snaps in games, but in practice, I mean, he's thrown to these receivers all the time. So that means a lot. Uh, in terms of chemistry. All right, now let's get on to Brendan Lewis. Brendan Lewis is a freshman. We've talked a lot about him. A four-star prospect by ESPN, which ranked him the 12th overall dual-threat quarterback, according to ESPN, in his class. He started a quarterback for three seasons at his high school, where they won state championships in the uh, uh, 4A-2 region, which in Texas, it's weird. They got all different kinds of stuff going on. But in the in his 4A region, he won two state titles in 2017 and 2019, finished his career with over 12,000 passing yards, excuse me, 12,000 uh, yards of total offense and 151 touchdowns. 
He also led the team in rushing with uh, just under 1,300 uh, yards and 16 touchdowns. You talk about dual threat. Whew. Yeah, dude's averaging almost 40 touchdowns a season. It's crazy, man. <laughs> yeah, he, like I said, started quarterback for three years in his career, 503 of 837 for just under 10,000 yards and 112 touchdowns through the air. This is what, what I love. We just talked about what a great uh, thrower uh, uh, you know, Tyler Lytle is, which is important. 112 touchdowns in the air, 18 interceptions, okay? You don't turn the ball over a lot, and that's what's so important, and that's the one thing that we need, right, for, for the buffs. Don't turn the ball over, right? Whatever offense I see out there, that's the one way to kill yourself the fastest, and he doesn't do it. So he's 6'2", 225, younger, as we just mentioned, has time to learn the offense, and before I give it to you to see what you think, he also played basketball, averaging 20 points, 10 rebounds, double-double machine, so what do you think, man? I mean, right now, well, first of all, before we get to comparing these two, what do you think of Brendan Lewis? I mean, obviously, it's clearly exciting to have him as part of the roster. Yeah, and I think when you talk about him as a dual threat quarterback, I think so often when you when when guys are categorized as a dual threat quarterback, what does that really mean? It means they're a running back that you're sticking back there at quarterback, right? What? That usually can't throw the ball that well, has a lot of limitations there. I don't see that at all. When you when you look at some of the the film of him and you look at his stats, those numbers, there's a lot of production through the air. And so this is a guy that, in my mind, is a true dual threat. You can absolutely ask him to drop back, throw the ball 20, 30 times a game if that's what the defense is giving you. If they're going to let him run, if they're going to give him those opportunities, I think he can beat you that way. So I think what it does and what intrigues me so much about what Brendan Lewis brings to the table is it allows you in the idea of going into a new offense that you know is going to look different than probably anything we've seen from Darren Cheverini, from Carl Durrell, from some of these other coaches that have a lot of experience. I think it allows you to truly blend all those different philosophies together and it allows you to maximize the playbook. You don't have to limit the playbook when you have a guy like this on the field. Not to say like what you were saying earlier with, with the Tyler Lytle. That's not to say that he can't run some of those spread concepts, some of the zone read concepts, but I think we could all agree you'd be much set, better suited with that style of offense if you went with the Brandon Lewis. Alright, so now we're going to do it. I'm going to put the head coaching uh, the hat on Jared. It's your choice. Who would you start, Tyler Lytle or Brendan Lewis, and what would it mean for this offense? I, I'm gonna I'm gonna give a, a, a couple different scenarios here. Here, let's say we're we are planning on seeing college football here this school year, right? So early 2021, maybe the spring season. I think if you're playing early in this season, or, or excuse me, if you're still playing this year. I believe you absolutely go with Tyler Lytle. And the reason I say that, you, you have the experience. It's a funky scenario. It's a funky setup. So you get a guy that has some experience. He knows what to expect in there. But also, too, I think you are fully capable of seeing or, or, or of working a two-quarterback system. And if I'm that head coach, I know that's not a very popular thing these days to see, but I think that's absolutely how I would approach this. I would go with Tyler Lytle as your starter. I would have sub-packages that every single game you're going to get Brandon Lewis on the field, at least for the first few games, because... And, and I don't even know how any of the, the uh, eligibility and redshirt is going to work, but keeping in mind that he can play up to four games and still redshirt. So I think early on you go with Tyler Lattle, you see what you have there, and then if Brendan Lewis is proving himself to be the better guy, you can transition to that as the season goes on. But I think Tyler Lattle is the guy to start the season if you're playing this spring. You move forward and we don't play until next fall, 
I, I don't think there's any chance. I think Brandon Lewis at that point will absolutely usurp him and will absolutely be the guy for the future for the Buffs. I, I don't like that. <laughs> I don't like that at all. I am a fan of once you pick a quarterback, you go with that quarterback. I don't like substituting quarterbacks or any of that. I think that's sort of like... Uh, uh, to compare it to you to use a baseball analogy, that's like a, if a pitcher is always switching up his his catcher. It's like you need a flow. You get on a rhythm, right? If someone's in there calling plays, everyone else needs that flow, that rhythm to call plays. I don't like bringing a different quarterback in every other, you know, not that you were saying every other, but having even the sub packages. I like one quarterback out there, make it clear for everyone, this is our guy because... That that does two things. One, for the rest of the team, they're like, wait, well, who's the quarterback? Is it him? Is it him? Because if he and the other thing is, if Tyler Lytle comes out and now has a three interception game, he's going to be walking around on eggshells. You don't want that. You don't want the possibility of always losing your job to be looming out there. So I'm a big proponent of you pick somebody, you go with them. And if I pick somebody, I would go Brendan Lewis right now. He's young. He has an opportunity to learn. I think this is going to be a learning year for everybody, coaching staff, quarterback, offensive line, everybody. So if it's going to be a learning year, let's put the freshman in so he gets experience. But but Tyler Lytle is not a senior. He is still a junior. And if this guy can come on the field and absolutely impress, I, I think you just hit the nail on the head. It's a learning year. And so, yeah, I'm not typically a proponent of of the multiple quarterbacks and you never really know what's going. But I think if you approach this and say, hey, you are the starter, Tyler Lytle. Brendan Lewis, you need to be ready because we're going to have some times where we want to catch this this defense off guard. Maybe he's coming out as a wide receiver or a running back in a package where then you get the ball in his hands this and guy. he can do things. I think it adds to the creativity. I think it what it does is it it kind of keeps everybody on their toes. You say walking on eggshells. I say keep them on their toes. You understand. You did need I say to walking on eggshells? Pro- I thought I said walking on sunshine. <laughs> well, we're all doing that today, aren't we? Walking on broken glass. Oh, there we go. <laughs> Somewhat close. It looks like sunshine from an angle. Wow, this went a lot of different directions <laughs> there. Uh, but well, I, I was hitting it. I I just really feel like that. I want to see both of these guys because I want to know going into fall 21, 21 season what this team is. I don't want to have to figure that out early in 2021. Or I don't want to throw Brendan Lewis out there, have that be a disaster. Maybe he's not ready for that situation. Maybe it doesn't go, go well. And then it's like, well, now what do we do? Because now this guy is is almost broken. Uh, you know, you don't. I, I don't want to see that. So I think you start with the veteran. You give him an opportunity to prove himself. Or, again, you get Brendan Lewis on there the first few games and you're going, okay, we can't keep this guy off the field. He's He's got to take over. And then you're going into week four, you know this is the direction. I, I look at the way Clemson handled with Trevor Lawrence a few years back, and I, I get we're probably not on the same lo- level with Trevor <laughs> Lawrence, but I think that's the same way to do it, where you see, you know what, let's see what this veteran can do. Can he lead us the direction we want to go? And then we ultimately realize that the, the, the future is now. You make that move. Uh, good stuff. And, and, and as you mentioned, a lot of this depends on when they start playing football. And if they play this spring, it could be a different uh, outcome. It could be something different that we see on the field than if they play in the fall. So I think that does certainly matter. Can we talk about that real quick? Everybody around the country is discussing how how they just got to get Big Ten playing football. They got You got Donald Trump coming out and making statements. You got other politicians, governors, senators, congressmen. Does it just nobody care across the country that Pac-12 is not playing? <laughs> I have not heard one word on the media about like, what about the Pac-12? I mean, that's a really good point. Everyone's talking about Big Ten football. No one mentioning Pac-12 football. But I do believe that the two are more closely tied together yeah. than, than you think. I think the Big Ten plays, the Pac-12 will also probably you play. You can't not play. Right. At that point, can't you can't be the only to, Power 5 conference that doesn't play. get out there. But it's, just, it, it's amazing to me. And, and maybe that mainly ties to Ohio State and having a legitimate shot 
not to win a national championship. You know what I think it is? I think this goes back to a documentary I saw uh, one or two years ago, and it talks about the Big Ten, how they have sort of a marketing game plan. And the Big Ten's marketing game plan goes like this. If we allow more and more and more students into our colleges and make these big, big, big colleges in terms of the people who go in, our alumni will now be bigger and our people across the country will now have you know, a, a bigger rooting interest. Like, dude, Illinois, Michigan, Michigan State, uh, uh, Ohio Iowa. State, Iowa, these are massive colleges that have tens of thousands more usually students than like your average colleges in America. So that's a big deal, I think. The, the Pac-10, is, the Pac-10, uh, excuse me, as a part of that kind of marketing strategy they developed decades ago has paid off because now you're getting a lot of people in their 30s, 40s, 50s, 60s, 70s who said, I went and played for that Big Ten school, and they now root for them. So that's just sort of a side note. It's an interesting thing to look at. That the the, the, the uh, why can't I say Big Ten? Because because nobody wants. Bubba to bubba bubba. Watching a lot of uh, Bugs Bunny lately. What was that little <laughs> pig's name on there? Porky pig. Porky, Porky, Porky pig. pig yes. uh, <laughs> but anyway, um, yeah. Everyone's talking about getting this back in. I just think that maybe a that's was popped in my in my head. But aside from that, I think that. Donald Trump talking about it. You know, politicians talking about it. Everyone's coming out saying it. Do you think the fact that Donald Trump said it has any impact? Has Absolutely. any barrier? Absolutely. And, and again, We're make it's, a very, gonna, it's a very. It's a very. Speaking of what to do with your hands, thing. Donald Trump always does this. He always does. He does this and he brings it in. Yeah, you got to do this and you do this right here. And you bring it in. <laughs> yeah, have you noticed the internet? We're gonna do this. We're gonna do this and then we're gonna do this. <laughs> the Big Don- picture. Right. <laughs> right. That's his I, move. I think the polarizing nature that Donald Trump is, absolutely. It's everything that he says, you're going to split people down the middle. And I think, honestly, a lot of people that are in Big Ten country, I think, are probably a little bit more of, of Donald Trump supporters than they are haters. So it's not I, go think there, but uh, I think you're going to absolutely get a lot of people that as soon as he says that it's going to gain traction yeah people are going to push but i just don't see the realistic nature of what they're talking about i mean jim harbaugh coming out saying he could play in two weeks these teams aren't even practicing Jim harbaugh eats we're talking about broken glass he eats yeah. broken glass for breakfast these teams have not even been practicing in pads they're not allowed to practice pads. i think yeah. it's something like 12 hours a week they're allowed on the field there's just no way you can expect to have the same competitive advantage as these other conferences that have been preparing to play in September and think that this is still going to be the same thing. Well, and that's the thing. It's not just Donald Trump who's saying this. It's other college coaches who are weighing in about the possibility of the Big Ten and Pac-12 playing. And Dabo Sweeney, head coach of Clemson, came out recently, and he said even though he wants all of the schools to be playing, he doesn't think it's realistic or fair to start school or to start the season in different times, yet have a joint national championship. Now, the reason this came out was because playoff uh, chairman Bill Hancock said earlier this week that he has had no discussion, and he is a big, uh, he's really against a split national championship. He said if they're going to play this season, they want to have a collective national championship but how is that going to look right with the power five league with the power five leagues remaining a vast long shot to play in the big 10 right now and pac 12 likely to not play anytime soon how would this even look i mean what would it look like right as a fan you want to know what how they should do it this is just completely unrealistic but just just grandfather ohio state into the championship game or into the playoff just mm. just push them for they don't even need to play a season this year then you just get the 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 winning teams out of the the top three conferences that are playing 
And there you go. You got yourself a playoff. And I, I think that's probably the, the four teams we would have ended up with anyways, Oklahoma, Alabama, and uh, Clemson. I, I, I think that's probably does not change what we would have seen given a very normal season. <laughs> like we could just accept it and move on. I and mean, that's what that's what it's become, what the college football playoff has become, for better or for worse. I mean, you get great football, but you are not right. getting any parity. You're getting the same teams year after year. If that's the case, let's just pencil the buffs in there then too, huh? Yeah, I think that's fair. I think everyone across the country Someone's could get, agree. Yeah, Someone's getting penciled that in. That if, if Pac-12 was playing, CU is an obvious uh, shoe-in to the playoff. But do you think that if the Pac-12 starts later that they should have the same rights to a college championship? I think they should, but how do you make that a reality? It's going to be tough. I mean, you the other can't. Teams will the reality is, is you can't. Right, because... The ACC, SEC, and Big Twelve will have had a couple months off at that point. Yeah. It's, it's unless really you not unless you shorten doable. in a season to somehow make it to where maybe you push to February and do that game in February. But then you still have coaches like David Shaw for Stanford who came out and said, "Look, we play college football. We should have the same chance, the same chance everyone else has to win a title." I was just going to say, since um, Big Ten and Pac-12 usually play in Rose in the Rose Bowl, make that your pseudo national championship. If you're going to split it, but does do that it, mean the yeah. same thing to Ohio State? I get well, that they're kind of the unique team within this, and I'm sure there's uh, people around the country that are just listening to this right now and, and, and losing their mind that I'm just penciling in Ohio State as the winner of the Big Ten. But I, I just think if I'm an Ohio State player, does that mean the same thing to me that, oh, I get to compete for the, the role? Well, if that's a pseudo-national championship, if you can get your, your name on a trophy. I feel like we're in the BCS days, you know. I know, right? It's, Splitting national yeah, titles. It's yeah. just, it's, it's just I, I don't know. I think that is why you play college football. I think for for some of these guys like you Justin Fields, some, the some of these big-time players, they're not going to play in that season. They're going to say, no way. I don't have anything to gain from this. How do you do your Heisman Trophy? How do you do all your other awards? I mean, it's just such a weird scenario. I I, I don't see a way that you could do two simultaneous seasons that started at a different time. It, you either had to get everyone to push back or you had to go forward as we were planning, which is the three conferences plan. If you want to try to do a season in the spring, then we could talk about some of the scenarios. Then we could talk about, okay, the Rose Bowl is now the, the, the championship game and, and, and different awards, whatever, how that would all work. Well, that is Donnie and Dabo's thoughts. Donnie and Dabo, that should be a... Our new podcast. We should contact him. <laughs> and actually get you. You want some followers, man? <laughs> yeah, right. Talk about two polarizing characters. All right. Before we get out of here today, we do have football going on this weekend. So let's get some quick picks from both of us. See how some of these bigger games this weekend are going to go. Ryan, chime in if you have an opinion on any any of these games. SMU at TCU. I think this is going to be interesting because SMU, you talk about a team who kind of flew under the radar last year, being very good. They can play, man. But when it comes to TCU, I just trust the process more. Even if they've only been practicing minimal amounts and in pads, you know, occasionally like that, I'll take TCU over SMU. I think their defense can stop what SMU does well. By the way, I looked back at SMU last year. It seems like they do really, really well against bad defenses. Then they get an average defense, good defense, and everything falls apart. TCU, I believe they have what it takes to stop SMU. And they'll, you know, not necessarily they're going to win because they're offense, but they'll, they'll have enough to keep up scoring too. So give me uh, TCU to beat to SMU this game. So ju- just, just to let you know, that game's actually been postponed. 
Um, TCU had a bunch of guys test positive for COVID. Really? Uh oh. Yeah. It, it, it begins. It look begins. at this, dude. All this recent news. Interesting. So yeah. <sighs> okay, let's monitor this. This is this situation. the beginning. This is the beginning. Let's this monitor this. It's because this is going to be one of those things. I think the NCAA came out, and I don't know if this is 100% official, but I think they said 53 guys. If you that, that's where they kind of limit it, is 53 man roster. You have to be able to throw out a 53 man roster. Otherwise, they'll they'll nix the game or postpone it, whatever. So uh, that's that's news. I I, I was not aware of that myself yeah. so uh let's see how this impacts us we, we start what two weeks from now getting a lot more college football so right and and on that note too um tennessee had to cancel a scrimmage yesterday because 44 players either tested positive or came in contact with wow. this is I, I i something tells me this is going to be such a disaster I don't know. You know, like I'm just like depressed. Th- it's now. gonna be like it's three just, weeks. I know. I was getting I so excited. Killed everything. Totally yeah. killed it. Well, uh, sorry guys. <laughs> let's get on to Syracuse and North Carolina. This is if a- they're still playing. Want to look this one up real quick? North, North Carolina is an interesting team to me because everybody last year kind of almost mocked them for the Mac Brown hire and like really guys, this guy's so out of touch. You Mac know? Brown, he sounds just like George Bush. <laughs> yeah, we know we're gonna run a little offense out there. You know. <laughs> I actually think everyone now has flipped 180 in the wrong direction where everyone's just like, oh, my God, Mac Brown and everything he's going to do. This North Carolina team's going to be great. Uh, not so much. I think that that was maybe just a little bit. I don't want to say of a fluke, but I think he's got that name. I think he brought that that kind of name to UNC, a program that has not been good ever. Right. I, I don't know. Maybe they've had a year or two, but they've really never had any sustained success. They've never had a big-time coach. So. I think that you're seeing people swing in the other direction now, and so I am still going to pick North Carolina in this game. I think they're the better team well, here, but I, mean, I don't see North Carolina being a great team this year. I actually think they're really going to struggle, possibly to even get to above 500 season. Yeah, I'll go UNC too. Yeah, I don't think Syracuse. Yeah, I don't, Syracuse doesn't do it. Doesn't move the needle for me. All right, let's go on to Oklahoma, the battle of Oklahoma, excluding the Sooners. Uh, Tulsa at Oklahoma State. You, you you just <laughs> you, you got to go with the pokes here, Dude, man. I think they're there's the. Uh, I think Oklahoma State is going to have a real season. I think that they they were one of my teams that was going to have a big bounce back year, regardless of anything. Right? They're bringing back a lot of talent. Mike Gundy's one of the best coaches I think in the Big Twelve. I like Oklahoma State this year, and I think they get things started quickly against Tulsa. Now Tulsa has an offense with a lot of seniors coming back, a lot of guys with experience, but still, I think that when you take teams in this situation, they haven't had that much time to prepare, and it's kind of shoddy practice. Is I'll take the better team with the better coaching staff every day. So give me the pokes, especially in a season like this where I think coaching is going to be so huge and how prepared your guys are ready to go that first week or two. And last one here, Duke at Notre Dame. Duke at Notre Dame. Um, T- Tyler, you're a you're a batter. What what is the line on this game? Do you do you know that? I don't know what the line on uh, Duke Notre Dame is. Maybe we can pull that because, up real quick. because I, I might take Duke against the spread. But man, they, I can't imagine that they're going to be competing at all. But in hasn't this game. Duke been one of the teams lately in the ACC to surprise you? I mean, I think that Duke every year. I mean, they've been getting better and better. They have an improving defense, and again, for the tough league they play in, I think that they fare pretty well every single year. So the fact they're going at Notre Dame, clearly they should be the underdog. Here. Here, but depending on maybe what that line is, I think we both agree maybe Notre Dame gets the win here, but depending on the line, maybe. Yeah, Notre Dame is another team that everyone year after year talks about how they're just they're going to take the, the league by storm, and I, I just, they're, they're good. 
is, they get uh, a lot of talent, but is Brian Kelly still Notre Dame? Yes, as far as I know. I get yelled at on the other show. Let's do a little promo here. College Football Weekly is another Woos Media podcast. Comes out weekly on your favorite podcast players. Check them out on YouTube at CFB Weekly. Uh, but I, I've been banned from doing my uh, Brian Kelly impression on there, so I'll do it on this show. <laughs> Brian Kelly. Yeah, I'm gonna go ahead and say it's that. Brian <laughs> Kelly, look at the Irish. Is he even Irish? I don't know. I don't think so. No, it's not, I don't think that's that's not my Brian Kelly impression. Is that what I said? Is that how I painted it? That's just kind of. It's very much so how you painted <laughs> it. <laughs> He's not Irish at all. No, that's just kind of what I like to do. I should say that. I, I, I love to say it, Brian Kelly. Yeah, no, Tyler. You can I think see why that gets probably, cut out. Yeah, I think we you can see probably, why that got cut out. I think that's going to be a one and only for this show here. I <laughs> don't think anyone's going to appreciate that one. Notre Dame opened up as a uh, yeah. roughly a three touchdown favorite, so yeah. around twenty one points. What do you think now? Do they cover the twenty one? Uh, no, I do like the Duke in that. In that hey, scenario. hey, hey! He likes Duke for the line. I uh, what? I don't know. I don't know. We'll go Duke too. That's right. how Tyler does his betting normally. Yeah, <laughs> I don't know. I don't Let's know. Uh, throw a dart at the board. <laughs> they beat Duke last year, thirty-eight to seven. Mm, nah. Mm. Yeah. Okay. Ooh. Okay. With Ian Book. Oh, so. yeah. All right. Well, there you go. Well, that just got a little bit less exciting going into football this week. I want to talk about. It? I want to talk about a different team who has gold helmets. That's what I want. That's right. So, all right. Let's get on out of here once again. Uh, this has been the Buffs Nation podcast. Give us a follow on. Twitter at Buffs Podcast uh, on Facebook Buffs Nation Podcast. I am on Twitter at Tyler Walgie. He's on Twitter at Jared All. Ryan's on Twitter at Woods Producer. You stay classy, Colorado. We'll talk to you in a few weeks on the Buffs Nation Podcast.